Welcome back to University of Minnesota Extension's Nutrient Management Podcast. I'm your host, Paul McDivitt, Communications Specialist here at U of M Extension. Today on the podcast, we're talking about liming. We have three members of Extension's Nutrient Management team. Can you each give us a quick introduction? This is Daniel Kaiser. I'm a Nutrient Management Specialist uh, with the U of M on the Twin City campus. My area expertise is on corn soybean fertilizer guidelines. Hi, I'm Carl Rosen. I'm an Extension Soil Scientist and Nutrient Management Specialist uh, here on the St. Paul campus, and I'm also Department Head. Hello, this is Jeff Vetch. I'm a researcher here at the Southern Research and Outreach Center in Waseca. All right, jumping in, uh, which crops benefit the most from lime application? Well, I think from our forage standpoint, we're looking at things like alfalfa and clover, and there are also some, uh, there are also some vegetable crops that, uh, that require a pH that's considerably higher. And then I think the other ones that think people think about are things like soybeans. Um, but really, you know, the crop, our normal uh, crops or commodity crops like corn, uh, wheat, soybeans, they can tolerate a pH down to 6.0, but um, obviously the, the alfalfa is the key one. Yeah, and Jeff, I think that's kind of the big emphasis I see or I hear a lot is um, soybean growers uh, talking a lot about because we know that, um, you know, one thing about pH that it's very important when it comes to nutrient availability. It can affect um, the availability of nutrients such as phosphorus um, and also some of our micronutrients, but it also can affect nodulation. So that's where alfalfa, you know, really comes into play. And I, I know, Jeff, we've seen it, especially at Waseca and one of our studies that we had a long-term study that... Um, pH was starting to slip on that, and we really started to see the stand start to drop off on alfalfa. So that's one of the things that, you know, forage growers are really, um, you know, up on. And I hear a lot of consultants, too, that um, that manage a lot of alfalfa. They really will look at, um, you know, some more maintenance maybe type uh, liming applications just to kind of keep the pH up to a point um, where they don't have issues. But that's the biggest question because we see a lot of emphasis really um, in some of our other corn soybean production systems. And I know, Jeff, some of the data I know, just looking at some information that uh, from an older study that you and Giles had done back around 2000, that it really wasn't um, you know straightforward when it came to corn and soybean. There really wasn't a whole lot of benefit, particularly on soils in the part of the state where we have uh, more calcareous subsoils that um, some of these um, these commodity crops other than maybe alfalfa really took much of a benefit from a, a liming application. Yeah, you're exactly right, Dan. In our study, the clear, clear thing that we saw was establishment of alfalfa was a challenge if you let that pH get below, you know, say 6.0 or, or less especially. But yeah, from a corn soybean standpoint, we saw some responses to to liming, and, and our study had a water pH of 5.4 in the top six inches. But when you got down to about the two foot depth, it was near neutral because it has that calcareous subsoil of that glacial till parent material, and that's pretty typical all across South Central, Southwestern Minnesota, and into much of uh, uh, Western and Central Iowa. And getting a response that's going to give a return on investment with liming on soils that have pHs in that upper fives or around six for corn and beans is going to be challenging. It's probably not going to give a return on investment. And I know a lot of the challenge for um, 
growers really is just the availability of liming materials and that's one of the things that you know I get a lot of questions on in terms of the overall um, economics of it is um, you know particularly when we get farther away from some of the karst topography where they have limestone mines that you start getting into issues with the economics so you know I think we'll, we'll talk a little bit more about some of the materials here um, on this podcast but that's, I think, the main concern, because if you look at the overall cost, it gets to be rather expensive. So if you're not dealing with a crop that likes a higher pH, um, really that's one of the things that we see a lot of times where, particularly central and western Minnesota, where the, the surface soil pHs are getting down to that 5 range. Or even I've got some situations at Lamberton where we're, we're dealing with 4.7 and 4.8 pHs that, um, you know, it's, it's more common now to see that. And one of the things that... Um, you know, I've been kind of in the back of my head, Jeff, has been uh, the, the increased use of sulfur, particularly ammonium sulfate, whether or not if that's that's hastened things in terms of some of these pH drops, because we certainly know that, um, you know, when we start looking at change in pH, that nitrogen has really been the big thing. Um, it, and if you look at a crops across the state that can acidify the soil, but uh, you add sulfur into that, it, it makes particularly ammonium sulfate, we know that can acidify as well that... Um, is reason why maybe you're starting to see some of these pHs drop more consistently below five, that more growers are thinking about lime applications in many of these fields. Yeah, and when when the uh, pH does drop that low, below five, that's when you start getting uh, problems with uh, aluminum toxicity, and uh, that's when aluminum becomes more available, and uh, that can be toxic to the roots, and that's uh, especially a reason where you need to start thinking about adding lime to those situations. Yeah, Dan, I would I would agree that you know you look at sulfur application, nitrogen application, and also conservation tillage, and the fact that I think that our climate is getting wetter. Um, all those things contribute to that acidification of the top few inches of this of the surface soil. And it is you're right; it is not unusual, even here in Waseca, all the way to Lamberton, to find zero to six inch. Uh, uh, pHs that are less than five, especially on higher landscape positions in the in the uh, landscape, uh, places like Nicollet soils or Clarion soils, or over at Lamberton, like a Vest soil. Yeah, and that's one of the things too. Looking at it, um, if you look at across the state, um, the the parent material, a lot of the parent material we have, particularly in the Des Moines lobe till, was um, calcareous parent material. So you know, if you look at it in terms of most most of our soils that the majority of them were formed on similar soil types. It's just the rainfall is really is what dictated in terms of where that carbonate layer is across the state. And that's one of the things with our lime recommendations, there are two zones across the state, and that is due to where that carbonate layer is. So if you look at the eastern part of the state, that carbonate layer is going to be deeper. So you're going to see um, your subsoils be more acidic versus in the western part of the states and even with tile drainage um you know you, we still see it, it's not uncommon to have some of those surface soils you know be around five then start to drop down and start getting into situations where you're dealing with a, a subsoil six inches deep or so that might be um around seven or even higher in some of these soils so the main thing and i'll talk about this here is with the recommend later here is with the recommendations are that you have to be aware of this because it does change in terms of how much lime is needed to effectively change the the water pH because that's what really we're we're trying to do. So there are some some nuances there with lime recommendations and a lot of things I get questions on. Um, you know, a lot of it, and you have to just be aware of where you're at in terms of um, some of the the subsoils because that can also affect how responsive your specific crops are 
to lime um, as well. So it's it's a few things, nuances with it that I think um, some growers really uh, struggle with in terms of some of the questions with our lime recommendations. One thing I'd add, Dan, is you know the importance of knowing where you're at in the field and knowing the pH and whether it's via grid sampling or what method. Um, putting the if you're going to lime, you got to put it in the right place because. Even some of these higher landscape position soils, it's not always about the soil type or the soil uh, map unit. Some of these eroded knolls, all the topsoil or a lot of it is eroded away and we're in the subsoil and that is calcareous. So some high spots in the landscape are going to have a very low uh, water pH and some areas may have a high water pH. And that can be a challenge uh, to make sure that the lime is replied in the appropriate area we don't need it in the areas that already have a high ph we need it in the areas that are like you said uh down in that less than five and a half range and the most recent data i've seen on some of this has been on iowa uh, you know there's been a couple of studies they've had in the last 20 years looking at variable rate liming applications and in looking at some of the i think the conclusions out of some of this was just what you said jeff is if you look at overall you know just effectiveness in, in return on investment that you know, targeting those areas has really been key because you're really not going to pay by putting lime on a lowland area that the pH is already 7, 7.5. It's really not going to do any good there because you really don't need to do that. So you look at some co-ops now, I think, have invested in uh, units like some of these Varus units to try to more accurately map across the landscape. And I think just looking at that, um, you know, we've talked a lot, you know, Jeff, between you and I about potentially doing something, looking at this and looking at return because I think that's really... If you're looking at particularly central western Minnesota is really how you're going to have to make a limestone application pay is to try to target the areas that are going to be most uh, most affected by, um, are going to get the most benefit from that lime application. Yeah, Dan, I, I you know, I know that uh, I, you as well as you do, I know that Iowa data pretty well. And yeah, it clearly showed that um, when you get this high subsoil pH or these glacial till soils that they really needed to get water pHs down less than five before they got a slam dunk return on investment. And whenever the pH, if they lime the wrong area and they lime the areas of the field that had neutral or higher pH, they actually would see small negative yield increase or decreases. So they would actually reduce yields. But of course, when you got into the eastern part of the state of Iowa and southeastern Minnesota, where your subsoil pHs are always acid, then anything after it got below six gave an economic or the water pH got below six gave an economic return. And that was critical. I was just going to say that uh, to, to be most effective, the lime needs to be incorporated. So uh, if you're, you know, to get that reaction, it, you do need some tillage to, to have it work effectively. What makes a good liming material? What should growers look for in a liming material? So I can answer that one, uh, Paul. Um, liming is uh, ba basically what you're doing with liming is neutralizing acid. And so to neutralize that acid or hydrogen ions, you need carbonate there. And uh, there are many types of carbonates. You can have calcium carbonate, magnesium carbonate. And some people think it's the calcium or magnesium that's doing the neutralizing, but it's really the carbonate. So you can have a calcium product products like calcium sulfate, for example, that's gypsum. That really has no effect on your, um, on your soil pH. It's more or less a, a neutral salt. And so you really, to, to, uh, to uh, have an effective liming material, it has to have carbonate or hydroxide in there to neutralize that, uh, that hydrogen ion. 
And the way it works is uh, the calcium, what it does, or magnesium, it uh, exchanges the, the hydrogen ions, which are on the clay um, uh, cation exchange capacity. It, the hydrogen ions are displaced by the calcium. Calcium or magnesium take place. And then the hydrogen ions then go into soil solution. And then it becomes neutralized with the carbonate, which forms carbonic acid, which then forms uh, um, a water and, uh, and CO2. And so that's what you're doing is displacing the hydrogen ions on the exchange complex with calcium or magnesium, but it's the carbonate that's actually doing the neutralization of, that, uh, um, of, the, uh, of the hydrogen. So basically, uh, the type of material that you want is something that contains carbonate. Um, you can have calcitic lime or you can have dolomitic lime. The difference between the two is the amount of magnesium in there. Calcitic lime obviously has more calcium than dolomitic lime. Dolomitic lime has more magnesium, up to uh, maybe 11% magnesium. The advantage of, of dolomitic lime is that you do get magnesium, which is a, uh, an essential um, element. For, for plants. And uh, so if you're low in magnesium, that, that can be a benefit. The other benefit of dolomitic lime in Minnesota is that most of our quarries in Minnesota are dolomitic. And so it, you tend to get a cheaper um, product, uh, cheaper in terms of cost, I mean. And uh, they both work the same, as long as you have the same total neutralizing power, effective neutralizing power, um, then it uh, doesn't matter if you have calcium carbonate or calcium magnesium carbonate. You base it on, on the, uh, the neutralizing ability of those products. And as long as they're rated the same, uh, you'll have the same effectiveness in that neutralization process. Yeah, and as Carl said, gypsum is one of the things that um, every once in a while we'll get questions on. And gypsum can alter pH, but this is a different process. It's not a liming reaction. Uh, the way gypsum can impact pH is actually helping to reclaim um, sodic soils or saline soils, some that have high salt content. So what you're essentially doing there is you have something that's got a very high pH and you're trying to kick some of the sodium off um, that's being held on that's causing the problems um, by adding the calcium, then also having some of the sulfur there that can help with the acidification. So it's a different process and it's it, unless you're dealing with saline or you're dealing with specifically sodic soils, I mean, really, it's not going to have an overall benefit to it. So with that, um, it's one of the things that when you're buying a liming product, you have to make sure it's got some sort of carbonate material because that's going to be the, the material that's going to neutralize the acidity. Um, there are um, also some oxides out there that can do it, but normally you're going to find mostly carbonate materials because oxides are going to be more expensive. Um, so you're going to be dealing with mined products that are calcium carbonate. Um, Western Minnesota, every once in a while, we'll get questions on precipitated calcium carbonate coming out of um, some of these beet plants, and that can be a liming material, but that's not always put on um, acidic soils. So, I mean, it, it's a product that can work. Um, it just kind of depends on the overall comparison of how, how neutralizing that material is compared to some of the other products that are out there. And I know, Carl, you've had some experience with that product as well. Yeah, I mean, sugar beet lime is, is uh, an effective liming product. You're going to need more per acre, uh, just because it has a lower uh, neutralizing power than uh, dolomitic or calcitic lime. But, uh, you know, if, if you can get the product at a reasonable price, um, 
yeah, it, it will work. And if you need, if you need the lime, it will work. You also have some added nutrients in uh, sugar beet lime as well. Uh, there's also been some work on uh, some disease suppression with that, that liming source. So there may be some other benefits in, in addition to the uh, liming ability of, of sugar beet lime. Yeah, and we also see some water treatment lime too, I know, just kind of around the city. So I know uh, just working with some growers, North Metro, that was kind of a common thing, although it's not the most consistent product to seemingly to work with. And I've seen instances where they've overlimed fields where we can get into situations, particularly on the sands that are what we call poorly buffered, which tend to react differently and they can get um, really high pHs really quickly that we can get issues where we see iron chlorosis in beans because the pH gets up really high. So that's one of the things to really watch out for is you can overlime a soil um, and particularly sands tend to be one that, that it's really easy to do. Yeah, yeah, Dan, I, I've seen that as well. I've seen actually more problems with overliming with some of that water treatment lime because it is a byproduct and they want to get rid of it. And so you have these sands where the pH is up at eight and you're running into either iron or even manganese deficiency in, in soybean. I've seen that before. So yeah, it can be a problem. So you want to make sure you, when you apply lime that you need it and then you apply it at reasonable rates. Can you talk more about how the lime recommendations are developed? How is the effectiveness of limestone measured? What is the buffer pH? So when you look at a lime recommendation, your lime recommendation is going to be in um, terms of pounds of ENP per acre. So that's how all of our lime recommendations are. And um, e when you're buying a liming material, anything that's sold in the state as a certified source should go through the lab and have what we call the effective neutralizing power, which is essentially um, an ENP rating per ton. And this is based on a couple factors. Um, one is what we call a calcium carbonate equivalency. So, you know, kind of rating the material um, compared to pure calcium carbonate. And the second part of this is what we call the fineness index. So with uh, lime, um, what they do is they run it through different sieves to look at, um, look at very coarse versus fine material because the finer material is what's going to react more quickly the coarser material is going to react more slowly. So the CCE and the fineness index, um, that's what they kind of develop in terms of uh, coming up with the effective neutralizing power. With our recommendations, um, they are based on what we, we use, what we call the buffer pH um, for the Lyme recommendations. If you're going to look at some of our publications, you're also going to find some recommendations for what we call the water pH, which Jeff, Jeff mentioned earlier which essentially is uh, where we have equal parts of water to soil, um, where they read this an electrode reads the pH. Uh, the water pH is typically used as a litmus to, for us, for the labs, when to run the buffer index. So if they get a water pH reading less than six, if you're growing corn, soybeans, or a multitude of other crops, then they're usually gonna run what we call the buffer index. And then the, um, if, you get, if you're growing alfalfa, it'll be less than six and a half. So when they run that, the buffer index, what that specifically measures is what Carl was mentioning before is that reserve acidity that's on the cation exchange capacity. And what that gives us is an idea, um, a more accurate um, picture of what's going to happen when limestone is added to the soil. So it's going to give us an idea of how quickly or easily it's going to be to change that water pH value. So it's really important um, to have this, the only circumstance, which Carl, you can correct me, maybe if I'm wrong, would be possibly um, peat soils, which are a whole different animal because we don't lime those up as high because they're going to be naturally acidic because of all the organic material. 
that those are the situations where there may not be a buffer index on that. And we have, I know, specific recommendations for organic soils versus uh, the mineral soil. So that's one of the things. Again, most labs, if you run through a certified lab, they're going to run the buffer index if your water, water pH is below a certain point. And then that number can be used then to generate a recommendation. And what's interesting is when I get questions when that buffer index is over 7, but their water pH value is, you know, closer to 6 on that. And there can be some big discrepancies in some soils, which um, in the end, I mean, really what we do is we use that buffer index value and then um, you look at monitoring because it does take time for that pH to change. So once you um, put that Lyme application on, once it's incorporated, um, it's a good idea then to follow up at some point just to see what happens and maybe three, four years down when you, if you're doing kind of a normal, normal grid sampling cycle in those fields, just to make sure that the, the soil is, or the pH is changing the, the way you expected. Yeah, so just a few comments there, Dan. Um, so the buffer index is related to the amount of uh, clay and organic matter in the soil. So the more clay that you have, the more organic matter that you have, the more reserve acidity you have in that soil. And so that's gonna mean that you're gonna need more lime to overcome that, uh, that, acid, that acidity that, that exists. And um, if you have a, a higher a buffer pH, that means that you have less reserve acidity. You have low buffer pH, that means that you have more reserve acidity. And so with sandier soils where you have less clay, less organic matter, you might have a low water pH, but it doesn't take as much lime to get it up because you don't have as much uh, reserve acidity in there. The main thing on the lime recommendation is, again, it's going to be in pounds of EMP per ton. So if you're, if you're looking at in terms of what's recommended, if you have your EMP rating for your product, um, it's, the recommendation isn't in tons of materials. So if I get a recommendation of 2,000 pounds ENP, um, normally traditional ag lime should be around 1,000 ENP per ton, but again, it can vary that if it's 2,000 pounds ENP, you're probably gonna need two tons of materials. So that's one of the things working through with a lot of growers, is you really have to understand how that recommendation uh, and how those pounds of ENP, because it's just like an, any other fertilizer recommendation that you have to multiply it out by the, the effectiveness of the material or the percent ENP to uh, figure out how many tons to apply. So just uh, make sure when you get that recommendation, if it says 2,000, that it's not 2,000 pounds of lime you're applying, it's that's likely going to be in 2,000 pounds ENP, so you're going to have to figure out the amount of material based on the ENP rating of the material. What is Pell Lime, and is it worth the additional cost compared to traditional Ag Lime? So Pell Lime is a very, very finely ground limestone. It can be calcitic or, or even dolomitic, but it's just very, very finely ground. And um, the, the reason why um, somebody might use Pell Lime is that it... Uh, that it um, reacts very quickly with the soil. Uh, regular ag lime has fine particles, but it also has coarser particles. So you have a much longer effectiveness of that line. It can last uh, a number of years, but pell lime is very finely ground. It also has a clay in it so that you have these pellets. That's why it's pell lime. If you just had these, this very fine line and tried to spread it, it would blow all over the place. It'd be very, uh, um, uh, difficult to spread. So it, it is pelletized and so it makes it much easier to uh, to apply. And it does have, uh, it's very effective in terms of um, uh, its neutralizing ability. It, it reacts very quickly with the soil. 
but it is expensive, so you need to, to weigh that. Um, some growers might use it if they're renting land and they just land and they just need to um, use it for a crop that year, particularly on uh, uh, sandier grounds like potatoes. Um, they'll, they'll use Pell lime to get the calcium there as well as get, a, get that pH up just a little bit to get out of that uh, zone where you'd have uh, aluminum toxicity, things like that. And then, then, it would, then you'd move on to some, some, some other land after that. So if you don't own the land, Pell line might be effective under those conditions, but it is, is very expensive and you usually apply lower rates than you would um, regular ag line. One other, I guess one other thing I would say is because it is uh, pelletized, uh, sometimes you get these little hot spots in there. Um, so it does need to be incorporated uh, at, to, to break up that, that pellet to get a more even uh, effectiveness of that neutralizing. I get the question on this product a lot, uh, particularly in the western part of the state where there isn't really good access to just traditional ag lime. And, you know, it's one of those things that I guess don't have really have a good question because of the overall cost. And, you know, if you look at the data, there's really no, not as much benefit. And I know, Jeff, you've had some experience on some comparison. And based on kind of what I saw, meaning corn, soybean, the Pell Lime really, there wasn't any, even with the lower rates, I mean, it really still wasn't that cost effective. So that's the thing. I mean, one of the big questions always, I think, growers is, particularly rented ground, is talking to their landowners because a lot of times with that investment since it is a long-term investment they're want i mean it kind of necessitates a need to look at um, potentially sharing some of the cost or the a lot of times it's seeing if they can get the, um, the landowner to pay for the cost and you know just with the overall cost of what liming can be that's you know it's kind of a difficult thing i know for for a lot of growers to deal with so you know, Pell Lime is one of the things i think looking at you get a lot of questions whether or not this would be a benefit and it, it might be something to look at that but um, you have to really know and it's something to kind of to know is what that overall benefit is going to be for the entire field side if you're going to be looking at that investment because there's likely going to be some areas that there really that there might be some benefit but some that there may not be yeah dan in our study we used pell lime and compared it to conventional dolomitic uh, limestone and you're exactly right we we applied low rates of the of the pell lime um, either annually or we did moderate rates um, one or two times over a several year period and we did see some yield responses to it it had very minimal to almost no effect on the surface zero to six inch ph it raised it very little but it was very difficult to give it to really get a return on investment for it from it and one of the challenges we have here at Wasika in our study was as carl mentioned earlier we have a high cec high organic matter high clay content soil so we have a high buffering capacity and it takes a lot of lime to kind of move the needle so to speak and that makes the return on investment a real challenge to liming especially at today's commodity prices and i've done the math and looked at all kinds of different commodity prices and the thing with liming is is that it's important especially when those phs get down in those low fives or certainly below but it's tough to get a return on investment and if you got rented ground versus versus own ground i think on own ground it makes a lot more sense because of all the other issues that dan mentioned with the nutrient um, deficiency symptoms and the problems with uh, nodulation and soybeans and things so there are some things to consider but find a source that the price is right it has decent quality 
and you really you look at the trucking and the application and oftentimes that's as big a factor from an economic side as it is the material so all those things have to be weighed yeah the what one thing i want to mention with the the pell lime i i think that it would probably be most effective on your sandier soils with low buffering capacity where you don't need need quite as much uh, uh lime or uh, effective neutralizing power to get that pH where you want it. And sandy soils tend to be inherently low in calcium and sometimes magnesium as well. So, um, you know, you're also adding some of those nutrients with, with the liming source as well. And hell lime's an easy, easy way of doing that on, on sands. All right, that about does it for the podcast this week. We'd like to thank the Agricultural Fertilizer Research and Education Council, AFRAC, for supporting the podcast. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.